0: Since the 20th of July, 2021, we've been chanting the praises um, of the fully self-awakened Buddha and his virtuous qualities, of which there are three. His great compassion, which is boundless and incomparable, and can find an end to it. So we say, Apamāno Buddha, that the Buddha is limitless. apamanno manu apamanno sangho. So we chant and recollect these good qualities of the fully self-awakened Buddha. And as we praise these, um, a wise being gave the comparison to this, of our chanting the praises of the Buddha. He said that it was like a tiny bird um, singing in the vast sky, or we could say a bird singing in space, in this vast universe that we can't find an end to. It's just like this tiny little bird that's singing, and the the good qualities, the virtues of the Buddha are so incredibly vast. And as we chant our praises um, of and to these good qualities, it's just like a tiny bird singing in the sky. But through these virtues, through the greatness of the Buddha, if we chant in a loud voice, and then our voice, um, these praises, they'll reach right to the end of the universe. Because the Bharami of the Buddha is so provo- profound and so vast, and the Devas can hear our chanting as well. And so, this chanting, our praises to the Buddha, this brings great benefit. And one of these benefits is that it brings our minds into peace, into a state of samadhi. So this Buddha Nusati, the recollection of these three great qualities of the fully self-awakened Buddha uh, brings great benefit. And the Buddha, he... or well, the Buddhas in the past, they have arisen and ceased. They've come and gone many, many times. And uh, for our Buddha, he uh, died and passed away uh, before having attained... And not just in this world. But if we look at uh, just the lives he had within this world, uh, the bones um, that he had left behind were many, uncountable. And many Buddhas had awakened and attained before as well. And the number of Buddhas who have come uh, into this world, who have awakened, is more than all the grains of sand in the Ganges River. You see that this Ganges River, it's a very long river, goes all the way from the Himalaya Mountains into the Indian Ocean. And how many grains of sand are there in that river? It's a huge amount. And each one of those grains is like one Buddha that has awakened in the past. And we can think about just how long that has taken for just one Buddha to awaken, just how much barami, his spiritual perfections, he had to build up in order to gain that awakening. But the Buddha, he went through this and sacrificed for the sake of humans and devas, and for the sake of all beings, of all minds which exist, the minds of all beings which wish to be freed from suffering, that don't want to experience pain. So we see that parents, mothers and fathers, have a very profound love for their children, and they're willing to give everything to their children. They're even willing to give their own lives, uh, to exchange their lives. So the Buddha, he did this. He exchanged his life um, for the sake of all beings. And this really wasn't an easy thing to do. And for a Buddha to arise in the world, to awaken, this is no small feat. So for us, we have faith in this and we chant and praises to the Buddha. It's also important that we have mindfulness and we contemplate this as well. As we're doing this, as we're chanting mindfully, and joy arises and the heart fills up with happiness. So we should make sure that when we chant, we do so with sati, with mindfulness. That we establish a mindfulness there in that chant, and perhaps we can just pick up one chant, one aspect of a chant, and uh, go through its meaning, contemplate it, and in, in order to understand what it's pointing to, what it means. And so, if we praise the great qualities of the Buddha, the qualities of the Dhamma, the Sangha. And then contemplate these, then we'll gain a clearer understanding of them, and this will happen little by little. And so perhaps we may have heard this teaching before with the uh, five kundas. that if we look at them uh, from far away, then we'll see that there's five of them. But if we look at them close up, we'll see there's none. And this is a teaching of a very wise being, a teaching of an arahant. And so if we look at something far away, maybe two or three meters away, look at these khandhas far away, then we'll see them as being five. We'll see that there's uh, a body, see that there's feeling, that there's perception, mental formation, sense consciousness. We see there's five things. But when we see things closer up, and then we see them more clearly. If it's still just one meter away, then we still perceive it as being a self, as being me and mine. But if we take it closer and closer, then it becomes more and more clear. And as we look at these five khandhas, very close up, then we see clearly that they are sunyata, that they are empty that they're not really there, that they exist, but they're empty. And they're empty, but they exist. And so all of these five khandhas, these khandas, they're empty. And when we see it in this way, then we see the Dhamma, we see the Dhamma is like this. So the Dhamma, the Buddha taught this well already. He taught us that all form and feelings, perceptions, our mental formation, sense consciousness, these arise, they stay briefly, and then they cease. And if we see just this, then we see the Dhamma. So when we chant these praises, then we also um, take this and we contemplate it as well, in order to see these teachings with clarity. And in doing so, we'll see the Dhamma. So for us, we're still practicing, we're still walking this path. And we know these things already, but it's not clear. So like we know that form is not me. And we are aware of that. We accept that. We believe that. We believe that feelings and memory or, um, sorry, memory and uh, thoughts and sense consciousness that these aren't me. We accept that, we believe that, but we still haven't seen it clearly. We still haven't seen it in its reality, in its truth. This isn't yet um, clear for us. This anatta is not self, that there isn't a true being, there isn't really a me or an other there. And when we do know this with clarity, then we see the Dhamma. So when our minds are in a still and peaceful state, then perhaps we look at the feelings, look at the body, and we can gain an understanding that this isn't me. Now we can contemplate that, but initially we don't see it with clarity. But when the mind gains more stillness, when it becomes more settled, then this feeling gets stronger, this feeling that the body really isn't me. And perhaps this feeling will stay, constantly will stay for a long time. And this shows that we're beginning to really gain an understanding into not-self. And this is the wisdom that arises from my meditation practice. And we're starting to see into the Dhamma here. Perhaps we look at the body and we can perceive the nature of deterioration and degeneration within it and see how the skin steadily dries out. Perhaps we'll see it as just being bones covered in skin. And then as the body deteriorates and carry on uh, breaking apart, then it dies. And some people in the present moment, they may be strong and healthy, but when an illness or a virus appears or comes into the body, um, then that situation changes. And this virus can damage the lungs and make them incapable of breathing, and then they die. And so these things, they're not sure. These things are unstable. But when we don't have that illness, then we have the understanding that this is really me, it's really yourself. But if we think and uh, we contemplate this matter, we can ask our minds, do I want to get old? Do I want to get sick? And if I get sick, do I want to die from this illness? And for those people who are normal, who have kind of normal mind states, then they won't want that. They won't want to get old, they won't want to get sick, they won't want to die. And this is the case for everyone, with the exception of those people who are going through a lot of suffering in their lives, who have great agony in their hearts and they just can't find a way out. There's just darkness in their lives and they want to die. And they think that if they cause their death, um, then they won't suffer anymore. Uh, but this is kind of abnormal thinking and people like this are crazy. But really, the Arahants are also similar to this in that they don't really want to be in this world. Because they see that the body is something which is unstable, which changes. It's something which needs to die. And they know that, clearly. They don't have any sense of happiness with the body. They're not delighted in the body in any way. They see it as something which gets hungry, something which gets thirsty, something what we always need to look after and care for. And we just have to keep on doing this until it breaks apart. So if the arahants don't have any duties left to perform towards Buddhism, then they just don't want to stay in this world anymore. But for those people who still have delight, who still find pleasure in this world, in the various sights and sounds and tastes and odors and tactile sensations, um, then they do want to stay on. And this delight that we find in the senses is Kama Tanha. And then there's also the desire to be, to become. And if we don't like something, then there's the desire to not be, to not become. So for us we need to train our minds well and to have a firm foundation for our minds. Because everything that we build, all of the halls, jetties, houses, these all need strong foundations in order for them to stay long. So our minds and our practice also need strong foundations in order for wisdom to arise. And this firm foundation is that of sattī, of this recollection or mindfulness. And there are four of these foundations of mindfulness. There's mindfulness in the body. And then there's mindfulness in the vedana and the feelings. Mindfulness over the mind and mindfulness over the dhammas. And these are all the foundations for sati. And so we should bring our minds to uh, recollect these four bases in order to make them strong. And when we make our mindfulness well-established, then we'll start getting this feeling that the body and all the feelings, that these things are not self. And then also memory, that's perception or memory, sanya, that we have memories that bring up happiness, we have memories that bring up sadness. Memories of all the different emotions that we felt in the past. But our minds deludedly cling to these as being me. We can ask ourselves, well, now, where are these feelings? Where are they? Well, they're not here. They've arisen and they've ceased already. And the things which arise and cease, do they have a real genuine self in them? Or the happiness that we've experienced, this has come and gone. Or the suffering, even if it was great agony, this has come and gone as well. And there's no true self, no true me or mine to any of these things. But still we deludedly attach to them as being me, as having a self, a me within them. And all the feelings that we've gained, all the feelings that we have, we take all of these as being me. But if we contemplate these well, if we look at them well, we'll perceive that they don't really have an us or a them within them. All of the feelings within the body and within the mind, they don't have a being, a self or an other within them. And this is something that's really important, something that's important to understand. And this is what the Buddha taught the five ascetics. And Venerable Anya Kondanya was the first to see the Dhamma, to see arising and ceasing. And this was from the teaching that the Buddha gave, that all things which are of the nature to rise are of the nature to cease. That they're just normal to be this way, that this is the state of normality. And so if we contemplate to see how it's just normal, it's completely and perfectly normal for things to be this way, that there's nothing special about any of them, that everything just arises and ceases, and we'll see that happiness is something that's just normal, even if it's very, um, a very profound delight, and something that is just normal, that arises and ceases. And suffering, sorrow, this too arises and ceases. And this is a very significant key that can open up the brightness of our hearts. So Venerable Anya Kondanya, he saw this clearly. He saw that things really are normal in this way. And before he couldn't see this, but the Buddha pointed it out to him. And then he saw that, ah, he's teaching like this, that the Dhamma is like this. And he saw the Dhamma, and this bright light arose, radiance arose, knowledge arose, wisdom arose. And so the Buddha exclaimed, Kondanya knows, Kondanya knows, that he saw already. And all the devas who gained a deep understanding of the Dhamma were many, It was just one human who understood and saw into the Dhamma, uh, but the devas who understood the Dhamma, uh, this amounted to many thousands, tens of thousands, even millions. And following on from this, uh, all five of the ascetics uh, saw into the Dhamma, until the Buddha uh, taught the Anatalakana Sutta, and taught about emptiness. And so he asked this body, the feelings, uh, the perceptions, the mental formations, sense consciousness, do these change or do they not change? And they responded that they change, that they don't stay, they don't last. And so he then asked, is it appropriate to attach to these as being me? because all of their minds were very still and peaceful already, and wisdom arose. He saw that all things, Vedana feeling for example, they all arise and cease. Even though we have attached to them for a very long time as being me and mine, this really isn't the case. All of the feelings that we've had in the past, we have clung to all of those, but they've all arisen and ceased already. It's just that um, there wasn't a knowledge, a true knowledge that went along with that. And so we've gained the understanding that it's me and that I suffer, that I feel delighted, I feel displeased. So we can remember these things ever since we were a child, right up until this present moment. We can remember all the feelings or the emotions that we have experienced, or the happiness or the sadness. And every single one of these emotions we have attached to them as being a self. But if the mind is settled in stillness and peace, then we see that all of these things are just the Dhamma. But it's the ignorance that creates proliferation. This is what tells the mind to attach and to give the meaning of self to these things. But if we have mindfulness and we contemplate into the Dhamma, we contemplate into the body, into the feelings, um, then the mind will gain Dhamma and will see these things clearly. So in the beginning, we should take up the body as the foundation for our mindfulness. And the body is something that's quite easy because we can see it with our eyes. But still, the mind attaches to everything within this body as being me, the hair of the head, the hair of the body, the nails, the teeth, the skin, the skin which covers up all the things inside, all the bones and the heart, the kidneys, the liver, the stomach, all the different organs there. And then there are the liquid parts of the body, the pus, the lymph, the blood, and these form the water element within the body. Then there's the fire element, which gives heat and warmth to the body, and then the air, the breath that courses through the body, this is the air element. And when all four of these elements come together, then they form into what we call a being, a self or another. But if we know these things clearly, then we'll know that they don't actually have a true self to them, and this is something that we never thought of before, we never thought of not-self before. But this attachment to self, and the not contemplating in this way, this is the cause for all the fear, all the wishes and the expectations, all of the delusion and the hate that we feel to arise. That these come up because we attach to all physical and mental things. So the Buddha gave us his teachings already, so we should really practice this, really do this, do this practice. We can take up the meditation words of Buddha, Dhammo, Sango, and we should sit and walk in meditation for long periods. For monks this should be at least five hours a day, and during the day we should be holding our mindfulness well outside of formal practice. So really take this practice on, take it for real. And if we do this, then in no long time, we will have to see the Dhamma, that it won't take long. And why is that? It's because the Dhamma is open and revealed already. The anicca, the anatta of this body, it's here within the body already. This body doesn't stay on, it deteriorates. We don't want for it to get old, to get sick, to die, but still, it grows old, it gets painful and sick, and it dies all the same. So is it really yourself? And when we die, what can we take with us? So we should contemplate this, and people with intelligence, they'll seek out the Dhamma. So after Venerable Yasa, ordained um, there was a group of men who went looking for a woman who had stolen their valuables. But instead they came across the Buddha, and they told the Buddha about their search. And the Buddha said, well, looking for this woman, it won't bring you any benefit. Wouldn't it be better to seek out the Dhamma instead? And so they listened to the Dhamma of the Buddha, and all of them attained arahantship. So instead of getting these valuables, they got something much better, which was the Dhamma. So the Buddha put this path into practice already, and he gained the wisdom which completely destroyed all of the defilements in his heart, and so his heart became pure. And after this, he enjoyed the bliss of liberation for 49 days. And this and he didn't um, teach during this period, um, because he was experiencing this most profound bliss. But due to the kindness and the compassion which imbued his heart, he went out to teach, and the first group was the five ascetics. So it's closing in on Asalaha Puja, the day when we recollect the first teaching of the Buddha. And this year it will be 2,599 years ago. So for us, we really do need to practice and we use this practice as our homage to the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, uh, what we call uh Bhadibhad Puja, and praising the great qualities of the Buddha. So as we chant, we are um, servants to the Buddha. The Buddha is our owner, he is our master. But for most people, um, they are the slaves, the servants to their defilements. So it's much better for us to be slaves to the fully self-awakened Buddha. Because in doing this, then what happens next is that we become Savaka Buddhas. Uh, We become those who have awakened following the Buddha. Uh, But if we just sell ourselves into slavery to the defilements. then all we'll meet with is suffering. And for people in this present day and age, that's for the most part what they've done. That if they want something, they just try to get it. If they don't want something, they just try to run away from it, try to destroy it. And the mind is always dragged along by these defilements, by craving constantly. And so people compete with each other. They struggle against each other. They harm each other. And in every age that's passed, things have been like this as well. But for those people who have faith in Buddhism, they'll put their efforts into practice, into meditation. So for us who are staying in Thailand, uh, we have the present king of Thailand, King Fichira uh, Longkong. And he himself practices uh, meditation and practices the Dharma well. He can sit in samadhi for one hour and fifty minutes, or an hour and a half. And this is very good, and his mind can reach a state of stillness and peace. And even though he has many royal duties to attend to, he still finds the time to do this. He has a great interest in the Dhamma, supports the monastics, and this allows for the Buddhasasana to be very firm within this country. So for us as monastics, we have this great fortune to receive the support of the king. So we should really put our efforts into the practice. And for the lay people, this is true as well. We're all very lucky, should practice well, practice hard as well. If we do this, then we'll be able to see into the Dhamma. So we should be keeping our meditation objects, developing them, and using them as the foundation for our hearts. To always be mindful, to try to be making our samadhi well-established. And through doing this, then wisdom can arise, and we can gain knowledge as well. And it's really amazing when this knowledge comes up, that there's joy which fills up the heart, and this is incomparable, this kind of happiness that we experienced, And all our doubts are relieved at this point. Perhaps the joy that comes up from the wisdom that we gain, this can last for three days and three nights. And as that wisdom grows deeper, then this pity, this joy, can stay for months at a time. And then as we gain a deeper understanding into the Dhamma, this can be six months or in a whole year, where the mind is just filled up with happiness. So for the Sammasambuddha, Buddha, the perfectly self-awakened Buddha, he had such vast amounts of Bharami, and his wisdom was incomparable. And so he sat after his awakening for or he enjoyed the bliss of awakening for 49 days. And this is just normal for Buddhas to do this. But for us, if we try to think about that, we just won't be able to uh, comprehend it. So we should practice first. We should bring our minds to stillness and peace first. And if we can do this, then we should be able to gain an understanding, gain insight into the nature of physical and mental things, how they're anatta, how they're not-self, how all of them are empty. If we do this, then we'll be able to reach with the nature of awakening, this inner Buddha within the hearts. So all of us, we should set our hearts on this. And if we do that, then we will see the Dhamma.